0: Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, and I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas, where I just settled into the IndieWire pad just outside the downtown area for South by Southwest. We'll get into that throughout this episode, but first, and I want to talk about a major aspect of the film news cycle that you really played a key role in introducing over the past week, which has to do with the fallout of the award season, backlash against Netflix and its theatrical release policy, and how that pertains to Steven Spielberg, who in April, as you reported, and many other people picked up, will be coming to this meeting of the Academy Board of Governors and pushing for a bigger policy as it pertains to theatrical qualifications that would disqualify Netflix films as they stand. Everybody's mad at Steven Spielberg. What do you make of the backlash? He hasn't said anything.
1: I don't think everybody's mad at him. I mean, basically what his spokesperson from Amblin confirmed was that if it comes up at the next uh, Board of Governors meeting, uh, which usually convenes after the Oscars to sort of go over the show, figure out what went right and what went wrong and what they need to deal with, going forward. Um, and various committees come and make r- proposals about, uh, and I understand one of those committees is the Rules Committee. One of them is is the new de- definition of Film Committee. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the agenda for that meeting turns out to be and what they get to. But what he said was that if it did come up, he would, um, he would, you know, make an argument. Uh, Amblin confirmed that he would he would like the subject to be uh, brought up for debate. And right. there are people who agree with him, and there are people who disagree with him. He may not have realized what a polarizing um, figure he is, because people see him as representing. Uh, the old 35 millimeter shooting yeah, you know Hollywood. all of that and while he himself you know as we've discussed he thinks he's an, an avant-garde you know uh forward-thinking guy but I he mean, doesn't he seem is. to feel that way about netflix he
0: he is a for he is a an artist and his favorite film is russian Ark, a movie that i don't think you could watch on a small screen and fully appreciate and, and i and what i is important to point out is that the, you got a statement from Amblin Spielberg himself let's say if he picked up the phone and explained himself might have a more nuanced way of explaining what he's been doing so since we don't have his voice in this conversation the breadcrumbs go back to interviews he's done where he's had these sort of side swipes at Netflix saying these kinds of things should be you know eligible for Emmys and not not part of this other game it's and i think that the part of it is experience, interesting
1: experience right and i also think that what happened here is that he was invested as amblin was in uh green book and the success of green book and he threw his weight um behind it and lobbied for it and uh somewhere in there part of the argument was that a vote for green book was a vote for cinema as opposed Which- to the megalop. You know the the enormous juggernaut of Netflix, which was outspending every movie studio. And if I think you wanted to vote for cinema,
0: if all you wanted to do was vote for cinema, that would have been a Black Panther argument or something like that. But of course, because he's behind Green Book, that complicates matters. And I know that it's not like the entire industry and the people in Spielberg's inner circle and other filmmakers are all collectively mad at him per se. But in that sort of insular bubble of film Twitter, which you've talked about before, is you know while it's not the entire world, it it does have a trickle down effect. You look at the way that people are responding to this. The thread and are, is amazing. They're mad, they're mad at him. I mean, no, I hear not the not all of thing them. There are the plenty of people tweet. who
1: agree with him.
0: And, I searched for him on Twitter, and the first tweet I I see, the first thing that comes up says, I adore Spielberg, but it's sad to see a man with his clout, reputation, and money trying to find, define what a quote-unquote movie is and how it should be viewed rather than adapting and helping indie filmmakers with little to no resources get their films out and nurturing a new generation of artists. That's the thing that people are getting up in arms about, which is that not everyone has the resources to get their movies into a gazillion. I agree with
1: you. I think this really was about money. And I think that he, that he was really upset. And remember Spielberg has been on the losing end of a lot of awards battles, going back to saving private Ryan versus Shakespeare in love when Harvey Weinstein and the independents first really made their mark and, and continued to dominate the awards season, even if they weren't spending as much money as the studios. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating situation where Netflix, because what it's really doing is showing other filmmakers like Martin Scorsese. And, um, and, and by the way, coming up, they've got films from Soderbergh, Noah Baumbach, um, not only Scorsese, David. Um, they, they have a bunch of movies. David Michaud uh, coming up. Uh, Fernando Moraes. They they have things that that are 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 from major directors, and they want to convince them that they will do right by them, and and they will follow that Roma. Uh, model. I'm curious to see if that's going to be true for the Irishman and how they're going to play it out. I mean, there's um, independent theaters uh, that could open Irishman in, you know, maybe a few hundred screens. But at this point, I don't see Netflix kowtowing to the theaters and giving them their 90 day window. And that means, oh, by the way, there was a story that Tom Brueggemann did, which was fascinating about what, you know, he really did the math and figured it out. He's very knowledgeable about about theaters. And he figured out how much money Roma might have made if if it had had a, a theatrical release. And this is a very theoretical thing because none of the theatrical distributors were willing to spend as right. much as Netflix to, so many to do it. There. And if they had done it, even at the level of success that he predicted they could have had, which would be about, at best, about $20 million, they wouldn't have made any money. You know, so so that's fact. It, it was a
0: tough sell. I mean, that was a part of the narrative of the season anyway. The fact that it won three major Oscars was a pretty significant coup when you get down to it. And it would have been tough to make it work through any kind of traditional means. But what but there the academy
1: is, the, is is this kind of crucible now uh, for all the changes in the industry. And and Spielberg becomes a convenient way to sort of look at the different. He represents the old cinema studio guard, the big budget movies. Well,
0: yeah, basically anything or anyone with some sort of iconic stature in the film industry is going to take on a certain representational power as the industry evolves you take the film festivals like the Cannes film festival and its thing with netflix which predated all of the conversations we're having right now was also an indication of you know the theatrical model versus the way people actually they've view got worse windows in france three it's years exclusive that is that is such it's a it's insane press- and, and it has to be resolved somehow, but it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of arguments and a lot of back and forth and a lot of bad vibes on both sides because it's just so hard to reconcile the realities of the market with the kind of, you know, more philosophical reasons why theatrical matters. And so this is something that is it's just going to keep progressing along it's not like we have this little you know spike in the news cycle and then it just kind of we reach some new standard i'm
1: not sure how steven spielberg feels about it because he was used in a way but it's a great way to open up the debate and show what the different options are and where we are and yes,
0: yeah. i mean debate. i would say it's a great opportunity for transparency you know netflix is pretty opaque about these things spielberg hasn't said anything and so there's a lot of people sort of reading the tea leaves and looking at signs, including us. And I think that if there was more of an open conversation about these things on both sides, like get Storandos and Spielberg to host a forum, at least we'd understand the terms under which this is being discussed. Because right now, it's really hard to understand exactly the nature of all this back and forth, because it's almost passive aggressive and happening through all these media filters that are often off base. Well, so that, Spielberg is a
1: governor and he is going to be able to make his argument if the subject comes up on the agenda there. But um, uh, Sarandos is not um, and uh, he won't be, he won't be able to make a, a case. Ava DuVernay, made, you know, tweeted that her point of view and said, hey, governors, look at this, you know, and Netflix tweeted their point of view in effect saying, hey, governors, look at this. You know, it's all been very, it's been amazing to me to watch all the different stories that have proliferated around well, So who's on day. the
0: board of, this is an interesting question, who's on the board of governors who really has that kind of, uh, you know, a capacity to stand up to Spielberg. Is it Kimberly Pierce or Roger Ross Williams? You know, it's like, who who else has that kind of stat? I'm just thinking about people who come well, to mind. Well, that's the who thing. You have 54
1: gold. people. One of the reasons that, I mean, one of the things that needs to be dealt with going forward is, 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 is ways. I'm working on a story right now and I'm reporting all of this, but, but, you know, what, what are some of the ways they could have you know changed the, the composition of the board so that it could be a little bit more effective because, what you have is three documentarians you have you have three producers you have three actors you have th- you know, someone like Tom Hanks or Laura Dern, you have, you have three directors. So Kimberly Pierce and Spielberg are both on there, but some of the people on the the board are young and new and they're not, they don't have that. You have someone like Rory Kennedy is on the documentary branch with Roger Ross Williams. And, you know, someone like Christina Cornelius who used to work at the Academy is part of the publicity team there along with Sid Gannis who used to be a president. I'm trying to figure that out, Eric. And I think, to tell you the truth, I think there's more forces on that board that would represent the indie point of view
0: than uh, Spielberg's. Well, right. And they just need to have the platform in the context of this meeting that it has all these people to really stand up and make the most emphatic case. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that regard. And we're still a few weeks out. So this, this news cycle will continue to percolate for a little bit. In the meantime, speaking of the future of cinema, Captain Marvel is opening this week, which if you buy the hype is a, a really important moment from a representational standpoint. It certainly is that in the, in the context of the Marvel universe. I think the interesting thing about this movie, which we, we should get into is okay. So great for Brie Larson. She did this role for the, for the filmmakers, uh, Bowden and Fleck who did half Nelson and sugar to step up and do this kind of studio movie. I was not convinced watching this film that it, it makes the most of I, any of those talents. I, I was, I was kind of underwhelmed, to be honest with you. But it's not a disaster. What no, it's
1: not. I think it's, I, I would. I really enjoyed myself. And I think part of the problem with this movie is that it carries this weight um, that it shouldn't have to carry. I mean, Wonder Woman already took care of this; they already did it. You know, this doesn't have to be the best movie with a female superhero that ever lived. Um, it, it's weird. It, it feels like it feels like um, there's there's this this serious fraught kind of of concern about it. And what I like about it is that they made it fun, they made it light, um, and they kept it moving. And if it isn't grade. A, Marvel, it's B tier. You know, it's better than Ant-Man. It's better than a lot of those bad Iron I don't Man know. sequels. I, I mean, I
0: actually think an, the thing about Ant-Man is that it's not a masterpiece, but it is in tune with the specifics of what the material is. The problem I had with Captain America, or I'm sorry, not Captain America, which I I, I don't love, Captain Marvel, is, is that it feels like it's actually caught between the sense that maybe it is a really important movie from a representational standpoint and just trying to be a fun Marvel movie. And it doesn't totally resolve that on the character front. Her character, who's understandably trying to understand who she is, is she an alien, what's the situation with her past when she comes to Earth in the 90s, on the one hand is very internal and and kind of an understated type of person. But then on the other hand, there are moments where she's kind of quirky and fun. And I, I felt like it couldn't quite figure out how to resolve those two aspects of her character and then in the end it just becomes a a cgi pile up and i was sort of
1: well that's inevitable that's the form i went to see it with a friend who was complaining about the marvel formula and i said no they break the formula with black panther they break the formula this is an origin myth this is an origin myth this is a a woman as a superhero that they, they did the the wasp but you know that was the first time there was a actual female superhero in the the title, the title of the Talk movie but it was Stephanie really ant man's movie right yeah, exactly yeah. so so they snuck in that way they have yet to do scarlett johansson which i would love to see because she's a you know she's a big yeah. movie star scarlet
0: i think one. she could carry it but and that's a badass heroine we've already right. seen her in action so you have to, established like, i think the challenge they had to establish Marvel.
1: her here that was they, the problem they did,
0: and i feel like they they didn't enough. I wasn't, I didn't we'll come out of that. We'll see more meaning, of her later. I, that, I, I think, think they mean, got, got her out, yeah. you
1: know, and I, I think mean, it's going to do well. All that,
0: from a corporate standpoint, that's all it had to do. That's was just right. Say, there it is. Now, well, she's in this giant movie where she has to save all the entire universe. But this is yeah. one of those cases yeah.
1: where all the critics... I mean, I, I looked at Stephanie uh, Zacharek and Time, who was weighing in on the whole issue of of women, you know, in movies and, and superheroes, and why do we have to have superhero? Why does this have to be played out in the... Super, it has to be played out in the superhero universe because that's where they've been missing for the most I don't,
0: part. I think Stephanie Zahar's point was more that... Why does the kind of barometer for, you know, the empowering female narrative need to be that she is just as ass kicking uh, yeah. in the almost identical ways in which the male superhero character might be, which, you know, I think is something worth looking at. And I don't want to, you know, apply my male gaze too heavily here, but it is something worth considering, which is she's saying she wanted to see a more... Singular kind of persona that doesn't necessarily need to feel, you know, like a badass kind of insert female here where you would normally have the masculine persona kind of a thing maybe there's something else you could do yes but what I
1: I understand the point but what I appreciated about the movie and I think a lot of women who liked it do appreciate it, is that they didn't mess it up and they didn't make her into some kind of babe and they didn't make you know I mean maybe somebody was complaining this is the this is the issue this is what what the problems with this kind of thing are somebody was complaining that that she had long blonde hair while she was doing all of these Uh, you know perfectly clothed this is a movie guys that's That's, that's just
0: stupid you know I mean she's not wearing high
1: heels like Angelina Jolie in uh, Beowulf you know I mean we are making some progress here
0: there, there is a and, and she's one, got a girlfriend.
1: Sort of, and uh, now there is a PC aspect to this movie, which I was very aware of, but what else can we do? Well,
0: there is one moment in uh, and she's sort of reeling from earlier memories from her past. You're trying to figure out is she is she from Earth originally? Why does she remember being an earthling? And there there is a fleeting moment where you hear a guy say something really sexist to her. And I think that's that's just enough in a way. It's like just a, a passing innuendo that I think was actually really well done. And I, in some ways, the movie could have used a little bit more of that to acknowledge, you know, what this woman who was in the Air Force at a time when women couldn't fly military aircraft, you know, and, and had to go on test runs and stuff. They, they, they kind of allude to that, what, what that, you know, significance really is. And I think it's interesting that the movie even manages to get to that point. I just, I felt like a lot of it was sort of humorless. And then there was a, there were some other blunt moments that, that really didn't feel thought through. I'll give you one specific example that some people have touched on without get, spoiling really anything, which is a fight scene set to this No Doubt song um, that I felt kind of came out of nowhere and wasn't positioned in the scene in an organic way. And it's this kind of cheesy 90s pop song that you'd think would be entertaining to hear an action scene set up against, but I felt like it... It, it had no no organic reason to be there. Like the scene in Shaun of the Dead where they kill a zombie to the, to, to the tune of que- to a Queen song happens because it happens to be playing on the jukebox and that's funny because they're going through a terrible situation and this song comes in. They didn't think through the beats for something like that and a lot of the 90s nostalgia and stuff kind of feels like it's tacked on in a way that wasn't Resolved on the creative front. What I will so say is that some problem.
1: of the best stuff does occur between Brie Larson and Sam ja- Samuel L. Jackson, and their chemistry is terrific. And I will also say that the uh, on the effects side, the de-aging that goes on with him... And with Clark Gregg, um, is pretty remarkable. It is. And it's a whole oh thing God, yeah. that's coming up. Especially I mean Angley has Jackson. Gemini Man coming up where they deage Will Smith and and there's the Irishman where they de-age De Niro and Pacino and Pesci and all those guys. So I'm sort of fascinated by where this is going. Yeah. But I think they got I mean, away with it in this one.
0: Yeah, you you would think because after the 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 Rogue One gimmick, which I thought thought looked a little mechanical, no they've there, come a long way. Yeah, pretty quickly. And it does make you wonder how many actors pushing 60. Oh, they're doing were, it all the you know, time. It's
1: in their wow, contract. In their
0: right. It's like all of a sudden you might have. Tom a Hanks. That's not
1: Tom Hanks you're seeing up there. Believe me.
0: Right. So it's just a whole new market for actors. Remember that
1: awful Ben yeah. Affleck movie, Live by Night, where he did it? Where he did it and it ruined oh, the movie. It ruined terrible. it. But I mean, all of it's, it's better now.
0: the the big open question is in the Irishman when Robert De Niro ages through all these years, is it going to be a convincing transition when, you know, physically they have to transform as well. It's not just the face, it's the body. It's the way they move. You know, what is the kind of threshold for this stuff before it gets kind of silly?
1: They can play with it. I know it's, it's going to be, well, that's where a lot of that money is going. I mean, the budget of the Irishman ranges from 150 to 200, um and i'm and they have, fascinated like, to see what the cuz that's where it's going it's it's like a, it's like battle angel alita, alita battle angel where they're where they're putting all their money on 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 their leads you know
0: no it's true and and i think that what alita at battle angel shows you is just how much obsession there is now in the effects community with what you can get away with how I'm not much sure rodriguez be-
1: got away with it well, it's
0: hard to say. I, mean, I don't think a it worked. The movie. I, I was. I was. I was not wowed by the movie. I felt like a, Some of it looked a little too cartoonish when you had the effects and the live action side by side. Yeah, we talked about this. I mean,
1: the way to do it was to have a human head with, with a. you know, right. Do it the way they did it in Ex Machina, and they were so insistent upon pulling off this this CG character that they 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 did it the wrong way. I think.
0: So speaking of Robert Rodriguez, yeah, I can tell you him. a little bit about our conversation uh, because he is at South by Southwest. He's always at South by Southwest. He's uh, he's a, he's a Austin guy who has his Troublemaker Studios here and stuff. But he's actually doing some really interesting stuff, and not everybody may be a big fan of what of what he makes. But his career trajectory is fascinating because of the myth of El Mariachi, which he made for seven thousand dollars on this uh you know uh, the money that he got from being part of a clinical experiment he wrote a book about it and then and then he
1: got got a lot more money to finish the movie that's the part nobody remembers.
0: Well that that is true and and it went to Sundance and all this kind of stuff. So so it ended up
1: costing a lot more than seven thousand dollars is the point.
0: But I think the you know nevertheless I mean you could you could argue that but the production itself I mean when he was on set and doing everything. He really did kind of do this kind of DIY process that I think a lot of people don't totally understand how you could possibly get away with. And he's kind of made a second career out of explaining it over and over again in different kinds of ways, including this year where he is at South by Southwest with a new $7,000 movie called Red 11, which he shot off a screenplay he wrote in the early 90s it's kind of based on what he did. It's about a broke filmmaker who who does a clinical experiment for $7,000, but there's a horror sci-fi twist about what the clinical experiment is. He he made it with his son, Racer, and then filmed a behind-the-scenes docu-series. And both Red 11 and the docu-series are for sale at South by Southwest. And so it's a very interesting way to kind of resurrect this narrative again he's gotten a lot of mileage out of it but here what he's doing is trying to show empirical evidence that there there really is a a creative process here that makes sense of course we don't know if Red 11 is any good but that's almost secondary because when you get down to it if there are certain technical skills that he's showing you can do then all you really need is some creative ingenuity to figure out how to how to sort of you know superimpose that on on you know, something something of higher quality. But I think it's something worth looking at because he, he's saying, you know, Alita was not contradic- a contradiction to this experience because by working on a bigger scale, you understand certain things that you can then try to find creative solutions to do on a smaller scale. And, um, you know, who knows exactly what that means because he, he's relatively... Guarded about a lot of of the way that he works on on that level, but I'll be curious to see you know if Lita gets a sequel. Is he going to just kind of stay in that universe because he has done pretty well for himself, making a lot of movies on his own terms and invented franchises like from Dust to Dawn and Spy Kids. Spy that, Kids is uh, my
1: favorite, actually. Yeah, and it's he just and, and, light. And he, lighthearted. I mean I I'm a big fan of from Dust Till Dawn as well, but
0: um I and you love have this to give Viking him credit. And you have to give him credit. He he says it very proudly and I, and it's true that in those movies as with the other mo- movies that he made early in his career, he was pushing for inclusivity, casting, you know, Hispanic actors uh in a way that Hollywood really wasn't and and did kind of play a role in, in, in injecting new people into that system and was ahead of the curve in terms of where the conversation is now. So what right. are you
1: looking forward to? Big, big highlights of movies that, you know, we might've okay. heard of at South by so,
0: not the arcane minute.
1: stuff that nobody knows about.
0: Uh, I love talking about that. Stuff, wait, man, wait until we of- have a chance <laughs> to
1: see and learn more. about them. It.
0: It's, it's hard to just kind of ramble about that stuff. Cause I, I feel like on some level I need to, kind of start the enthusiasm for the stuff i've discovered and, and really love on the ground and then a week from now i'll talk about how it really broke out because I. that's what i'm saying that. so tell
1: me or, what the big big or, titles are going in
0: or just to say or i'll find something that i really love that nobody else likes and everyone will be pissed you will you will it give it good. time but what, what what do you, you see going, going in? in so big stuff opening night us big big coup for jordan peele which jordan i'm not saying until next out. week It's a lot of secret secretive stuff around this. I'll see it Friday night, but nobody, not many people, have seen it, and those who have are sworn to silence. But the trailers out there, we kind of know what this thing is about: a a family that goes on vacation, including Lupita Nyong'o, and uh, is sort of attacked or, or somehow stalked by a family that looks exactly like them. Jordan Peele has said that even though it was important for him to have a black family in the film, it's not a film about race. So I think what's going to be interesting to see is as the film screens and other people are going to see it outside of South by in in the days ahead, uh, how much of that particular framing for this movie is going to settle given that a big part of the kind of international phenomenon of get out was uh, driven by how it was commenting on race in America. So is there, something else about this movie that could propel it to a similar kind of level, or is it just a really sturdy piece of genre filmmaking from a talented filmmaker who loves horror movies? We don't know that exactly, but it's probably going to make a lot of money. I mean, genre stuff does. And he now has that kind of, you know, brand that that people will want to check out so so that'll be very interesting but there's a actually a good amount of interesting studio movies throughout the first couple of days at south by southwest there's um there's a, a film called good boys that was produced by seth rogan and evan goldberg that looks like a really fun kind of He's uh, a regular movie movie yeah and 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 um I think, um, yeah, they launched Knocked Up here years ago. I mean, it, usually these movies that are just complete crowd pleasers and a re, and really lewd, and this one looks like a kind of a super bad junior, do take off at South By. They don't necessarily indicate indicate if they're going to do make a lot of money at the box office, but sometimes they really do kind of show you just how much the movie plays. And one film that I'm really curious about is called, it's called Long Shot. It used to be called Flarsky, so I think it was... Probably a, a good thing they changed that title. This is another Seth Rogen film, but he stars opposite Charlize Theron, and it's directed by Yeah, I by want Jonathan to see that Lincoln. one. So this is a Rogen as a reporter who has a high school crush who's become this uh, very influential politician, and uh, and he kind of tries to rejuvenate his romance with her. So that that one seems to have been sort of flown under the radar for a little while, but I'm very curious about. That one one way or another, because it, it's really hard to tell if it's going to to resonate and, and just how much it will resonate. And, of course, I'm excited to see how people respond to the latest uh, highbrow offering from Harmony Kareen your favorite filmmaker. <laughs> uh, he, he sent poem. me this
1: thing in my email with this retro- Harmony Kareen retrospective of all his films, and I sort of gagged. <laughs> you know? I know. Like my use- idea you- of hell.
0: You, you tweeted that, and now instantly I got texts from all these people who knew that I'm a... And then you know, I respond, I'm anticipating
1: that people would think I was dissing you, which I wasn't. <laughs> I basically, because you're writing a book about him or you've written a book about him, I, I basically wrote, um, he, he's best in small doses, which I think is true.
0: I I mean, one of the things that I have found, I, I, I had a great... Uh, experience editing a collection of interviews with him a few years ago and I know him quite well and I was on the set for this movie so I know a lot about it but um, I think one of the things that, that is fascinating about Harmony Corrine is, is the kind of narrative of the around him and how it has sort of evolved over the years. A movie like Gummo which was just destroyed when it came out has developed a new, very robust cult following with time and spring breakers as absurd as it was really resonated for a lot of people and there were teenagers who saw that movie a couple of years ago and are now in their early 20s or in college or whatever and and they had a similar kind of experience that some people had with gummo it's 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 difficult it's uh it's a sort of highbrow lowbrow blend it's almost like Uh, on the one hand, designed to make you uncomfortable and on the other hand, designed to amuse you with a world you've never been exposed to before. And I think there's something really amazing about that gamble that makes him such an interesting filmmaker. And more than that, a visual artist and he's a painter. He does a lot of installation work and all kinds of other things. So I think it's, it's worth looking at his output holistically for those who are even curious what's interesting about the beach bum is that it's also a stoner comedy with Matthew McConaughey and I'll be curious to see if people are you know into that kind of blend so so we shall see on that front and um, the festival is closing with the remake of Pet Cemetery, which is a Paramount film I'll be gone by the time it screens so we'll see how that one goes but it stars Amy Simons who certainly an I like indie her game in our world so there is reason to um, to anticipate all that. In the meantime, there's also some good movies in theaters. We both really liked Gloria Bell. Yep. Which uh Julianne Moore worth out. Yeah, uh, Julian in the, Moore. in a
1: revise by Sebastian Lalo of, of his other film, uh, which which I loved. The original I loved and I loved you the new see one. It. As well. If
0: you have not seen the original, I recommend it. And it's not because I would say one is better than the other. They're actually very, very different. Very, very no, I would say they're very similar. No,
1: because, because if, there's a difference that's really significant, which is that the original Gloria is a real woman with real curves, who's really middle-aged, who's really, you know, got saggy jowls and all the stuff that we can all relate to. And the um, uh, those of us who are older women. And then uh, Julianne Moore is playing her in, well, in this version. A significantly more attractive, slimmer, they, they okay.
0: more glamorous uh, version. Let's look at this for a second, because Paulina Garcia, who plays... Gloria in the original I think she is somebody who is sort of uncomfortable with herself physically and kind of comes out of her shell and yes physically they are different but the material itself is incredibly faithful there are shots that look identical and so what what I found sort of compelling about that contrast is that the filmmaking itself is very similar but it's like seeing a great play that you've seen before with a new cast John Turturro also very good in the in Excellent. This adaptation. Excellent it's worth seeing both the performances are
1: the, the way that they inhabit those characters, right. they make them into different characters. They make right. them it, into people who are part of our culture but, and exactly. yet they're universal. I, yep. I love the, this the movie.
0: songs are different and stuff. That's true. That's true. So I think, but I, but I think that contrast. It's, it's one of those fascinating cinematic gambles. When I heard about this, I was like, why, why do this? And I heard the, the script was identical. I was like, why? And then I was saw the movie and I was like, Oh, I, I really like this the same way I like the other one, except now I'm watching Julianne Moore's Gloria, and that's a different kind of experience. It's very rare to see something like that kind of come together in those terms. So people should go see it. Highly recommend. And um, probably a better time than Triple Frontier, which is now. Okay. So Triple
1: Frontier is an interesting case where you wrote a review, which was not entirely positive. It wasn't a pan, but it wasn't entirely positive. But when I read your review and that sometimes happens, it made me want to see the movie more, and and partly because the actors are are compa- compa- I want to see Ben Affleck, and and even though I I'm a sort of um, anything but Char- Charlie Hun- <laughs> Charlie what's I can't even say his name Hunold um, th- who oh, I, name. I really find boring for the most part. Um, I love Oscar Isaac. I love uh, Garrett Hedlund. Uh, you know, I want to see what yeah, they do. Okay. And it's I like a, the filmmaker.
0: The bulk of the, of the Casey Chandor. You know, white guys in this movie are kind of indistinguishable to me. Oscar Isaac does not count. And, uh, and he's worth seeing in everything. His physicality is really impressive in this movie. I would say if I were to rank the reasons to see it, they would be Oscar Isaac, jc chandor's direction and then a little bit of ben affleck but for the most part he's pretty sleepy chandor is a superb filmmaker this is his most conventional film it's kind of like got a treasure sierra madre type of formula to it but it it, you know that should be a good selling point and it never really surprised me it's a lot of action yeah i mean having said that it's
1: showing that he can do that which is part of what he has to do Uh, to make it on a bigger level with bigger
0: budgets And and after the failure
1: of his uh, sailing movie with uh, Robert Redford,
0: right, all is is lost. lost. He's had a lot of tough moments. I would not say that this is a slam dunk in that respect. But what's impressive? But it's on Netflix,
1: where it's going to be huge. I haven't even seen it, and I can tell you that this is a classic case of a week long marketing launch before it hits Netflix. Yeah, model for them.
0: Uh, it it may be huge on Netflix, but I don't know if if somebody watches this and they're like, he needs to be directing big movies all the time. what what's what's compelling about the movie is the way the scenery keeps changing. It goes from the jungle to the mountains to all these different vistas. But I wouldn't say that it's, you know, it's got this really brisk pace, you know, and it's got a lot of issues. It's sort of, humorless in a weird way it's got script issues and stuff but it's not a failure and so i'm glad that the movie holds together that much and if that's the movie that has to be huge on netflix so be it um i thought it was a little better than captain marvel so there's that but it's all relative in in in, in this world so in any case next week i guess we will i'll have some other updates on what you would call more esoteric south by southwest or arcane South by Southwest. Sometimes Navy.
1: there are discoveries like Lena Dunham and others made at South by Southwest. And I look forward to finding out what they are.
0: Stay tuned. Talk to you soon, Anne. Bye bye, Eric.